It may be the weekend, but there are no days off for the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to the Saturday Show. Can't wait. Can't, 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 can't wait. It's all weekend, baby. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. For a brilliant start, here's Ingles, left-hand drive. Flares up top to Niang this time. He penetrates in the lane, cross-court to Ingles. Quick release three. Yes, sir! Joe Ingles from the left corner. 30-26, I love the quick release there, Ron. Bogdanovich, left side, open look, hits the three. And Bogey's talking to himself, going back the other way. Utah 85, LA 84. 10-16 left, game one. Let me be very clear. Where's your camera? Is that right there? Yes, sir. Donovan Mitchell is a superstar. Make no mistake about it. Top to O'Neal, rotates to Don. Deep three from Austin. Two-point game. 22-16, Patrick Beverly's in the game, hassling Donovan everywhere, comes off of favors, pick once, twice, pulls and hits. Donovan's got 14 points in the first seven minutes. He is having an unbelievable quarter with so much on the line with the way the Clippers are coming. out to Cousins, Cousins will take the three, miss it, rebound Ingles. Chess ahead to Donovan. Donovan gets by Cousins, kicks it back out to Bogdanovich, playing on a weak ankle, shall we call it. Retreats out with Morris guarding, calls Donovan to the ball. They swing right side to Donovan. Cousins defending. They're switching everything, so they got mismatches. Eight on the clock. Donovan driving at Cousins, loose with the dribble. Retreats out for a three and hit it. Jazz by seven, 57 50. 22-16, Patrick Beverly's in the game, hassling Donovan everywhere, comes off of favors, pick once, twice, pulls and hits. Donovan's got 14 points in the first seven minutes. He is having an unbelievable quarter with so much on the line with the way the Clippers are coming. Jazz by 10, 63-53, crowd comes to their feet. Shot clock's at 13, game clock's at 16. I don't know if you can even hear me. Donovan. Gets a switch with Morris, six on the clock. Pulls back for a 32-foot three, and it's good. Are you kidding me? 27 for Donovan Mitchell. Here's a swing and a high fly ball, center field. Bernard going back, still going back at the warning track, jumps up and it's gone. It's a two-run homer for Scott Schibler, we're tied at five. Welcome into the Saturday show. Eric, that was well done, sir. Putting a little montage together. I'm Jake Hatch, a.k.a. Yawk. Across from me is my good friend Alex Lundberg, a.k.a. Lundy. What's up, buddy? Oh, you know, just living the dream. Nice. Just, you know, enjoying enjoying my time, enjoying this jazz run. 
Well, it's been fun. We're going to talk plenty about that today, I can tell you that much. Uh, Eric bringing us in there from some highlights from the Game 2 victory for the Utah Jazz over the Los Angeles Clippers. Game 3 in the Western Conference semifinals is tonight. We're going to talk about that ahead on today's show. But i got to say, first off, wonderful weather here along the Wasatch Front, but it's starting to get hazy, folks. <sighs> it's uh, wildfire season. Yeah, we, we've got... We've got the gauntlet ahead of us. Yes, we do. So. Um, so be smart out there. Let's just PSA right off the top. Yeah. Be smart. Make sure your fires are completely out if you are in the backcountry doing anything with that. But regardless, it's wonderful weather. It's summertime here in Utah. I went to a fireworks show last night with my wife and kids. That was an absolute blast. And you can't beat Utah summers. Honestly, you cannot beat them. They're pretty awesome. Yeah. They are. They're pretty great. Weather's phenomenal. Uh, evenings, it cools off a little bit. You can just kind of sit outside and enjoy it. It's just awesome. But obviously that means better weather means it's playoff time, and we are in the midst, of, like Lundy said, of a pretty awesome run for the Utah Jazz. They are up 2-0 in their series against the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, having a blast tracking this. I know, Lundy, you got your hand right in it because you're producing all of the broadcasts with David Locke. You're in the pre to have and post-game shows. You're working and grinding along. But let's start off uh, here, Lundy. What has impressed you the most is the Utah Jazz have gone up 2-0 in this series. Oh, man, where to even start with this? Um, That's why I left I mean, it open-ended. Yeah. It's, you know, what has surprised me is the, just the resiliency of the team. You know, the, the team is really what has made this possible. Donovan Mitchell is a huge part of that. You know, he's he's the catalyst, really, that – has has sparked this run. Mm-hmm. I mean, since he came back, the Jazz haven't lost. And pretty incredible. He's put up massive numbers, but it's not just Donovan. I mean, if you look at game two, look at the way that Bogdanovich took on Kawhi. That was insanely impressive. I don't think that the Jazz probably win that game without that effort. Um, you know, Clarkson was back to old form in game two, hitting a lot of shots, scoring a lot. Uh, Rudy Gobert has just been dominant. We've seen a lot from Favors. And so it's it it really is just this team is putting forth a full team effort. And that is really impressive to me because, I mean, we've seen it all season long. It shouldn't surprise me. We've seen it a lot. <laughs> but I, I like that. It shouldn't surprise us, but it does. Right. Because, I mean, what we've seen in the past, you know, what was it? It was like the, the 2015 Atlanta uh, Atlanta Hawks. Correct, yeah. Um, that were in a similar position as this Jazz team where they blew the doors off the regular season, got to the playoffs, and uh, just kind of meh. And that was it. You know, went out with a whimper. And there were a lot of you – know, I, I know that there were a lot of doubters that thought that this Jazz team would do the exact same thing, and they very much have not. Yeah, they've been phenomenal, and I am on the record as saying this. Donovan Mitchell is a superstar. There's no doubt about that. I know there are a lot of people out there who said, well, he's a really good player. He has moments of being able to be really good. No, we're seeing the ascension to true superstardom right before our very eyes. Actually, I didn't notice this until I actually saw a tweet earlier today. Do you know the um, – the, so obviously Michael Jordan, he is the GOAT in most people's eyes. Do you know who has scored the most points in a single playoff game since Michael Jordan went for that, was it 60, 63, if I'm not mistaken, against the Celtics? Uh, 
I don't I don't know who should, should be an easy answer. Is it LeBron? Nope. Kobe? No, it's Donovan Mitchell. His 57-point outing in the bubble last year in game one of that series against the Denver Nuggets is the most since Michael Jordan went for that 60-plus against the Celtics. That's insane. He is a legend becoming a legend right in front of our eyes. And he's only 24 years old, folks. Enjoy it. This is this is a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, the way that we've seen Donovan improve and the way that we've seen him really approach his game, um, I don't think anybody doubts that he is an absolute absolute student of the game but more than that he's a student of his own game where he watches film just relentlessly he studies what he does and identifies his own weaknesses and works relentlessly at fixing those kinds of things and that's why we've seen such a quick ascension in this amount of time and he's not done I don't think yeah he's not done there's no doubt about that and this has been just I'm I'm having a lot of fun with this. I am a nervous wreck for this Utah Jazz team. <laughs> I, I for some reason this this time of year, I know that I'm supposed to be quote unquote media and I'm supposed to kind of divorce myself from it. The Utah Jazz <laughs> though, man, they they do something. And I just I, I'm locked in with them. I'm having a blast. And you mentioned the fact that since Donovan Mitchell returned from that ankle injury, they have not lost. They've won six straight games here. Obviously, the venue changes tonight. They're headed to Staples Center down there in Los Angeles. I, I we all we know. I, I've been listening to the post games with the Los Angeles Clippers. They're motivated. They don't want to go out with a whimper in their own right. They have two guys who are considered quote unquote superstars in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard that are very very proud. Kawhi's won two different titles with two different franchises. He wants to make it three with three. But I gotta say. Everything I've seen from the Utah Jazz so far, we're so we're what one and a half series in, I guess we can call it technically. Mm-hmm. Everything I've seen from them gives me no reason to believe that they can't make a run to the Western Conference Finals and eventually the NBA Finals. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree with you. This this team has really shown a lot of yeah. I mean, the first half of Game Two, sitting there in the booth watching that game as I was producing, I remember thinking. Like just the actual thought came in where it, it was just if they play like this, there's not a team in the NBA that can beat them. I, I would agree with that. Uh, they are playing at an extremely high level. I know there were some qualms going into the playoffs, obviously with the slow returns of both Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. A lot of people were like, "Was well, he going to throw the Jazz there? Are they getting beat off?" The, the nice part is Lundy is that we have seen them play without guys and we're talking stars in both Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell and they've been able to kind of absorb those losses go out and play well and we don't know the status of Mike Conley yet for tonight's game it is my personal opinion this is just me speaking for myself let me be very clear about this I don't think we see him tonight that's just my personal opinion on the matter but this Jazz team has shown the ability time and time again all season long, that regardless of who's in the lineup, who's out of it, they play the same style, and they expect to go out there. And regardless of who's out there, they expect to go out there and play well and win. Yeah, and I'm I'm in agreement agreement with you about Mike Conley. I know that he traveled to L.A. with the team, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of people are really excited and optimistic about that. I don't believe that he plays this game. Um, I believe that there's a possibility he plays for Game Four, but I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't. Yeah, I. I just look at this, and this, uh, 
this Jazz team has been playing extremely well. And I know there are Jazz fans. And by the way, last night the Phoenix Suns went up 3-0 three, three on the Denver Nuggets. And I got to tip my cat to Phoenix. They are looking really, really good right now. I know there are Jazz fans, and I saw some of it on my social media feeds last night, who were saying, well, the Utah Jazz, if, if Phoenix is going to sweep the Nuggets, the Jazz have got to go make sure they, they keep pace. Okay, that's a great idea. But I'm telling you, that Denver team has run out of gas. Nikola Jokic has dragged that team as far as he possibly can go. He deserved the MVP. And by the way, congratulations. Mm -hmm. The first second-round pick in NBA history to win an NBA MVP. Guy from Serbia who has said his aspiration in life was to play in the Serbian League. Going to the NBA was just kind of gravy on top. And now he's he's an MVP. Just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, you know, and like you said, Denver's run out of gas, you know, like – Nikola Jokic is incredible. He's had an incredible season. Mm-hmm. The Clippers are not the Nuggets. No. I mean, yet Nikola Jokic is the MVP this year, but Kawhi Leonard is Kawhi Leonard. And we saw what he did in the Dallas series. They fell down they you know, the same, yeah. same beginning after two games. And he he refuses to go out. And... Yeah, he hasn't been great the first two games because the Jazz have kind of locked him up and, you know, maybe some other factors, you know, whether that's fatigue or something else because, sure. you know, the load management well, he doesn't yeah. usually have to play this many minutes in this amount of time. Well, ask David Locke. He just he mentioned yesterday with DJ VK that Paul George just matched his longest games played streak at nine mm-hmm. in that game two uh, loss. And then Kawhi Leonard, the most he's played in a row this season – I think you said it was 12, and he is currently sitting at, sitting at 9 or 10 himself. So yeah. I, I'm with you on that. I think there's a load that is kind of starting to weigh down on him a little mm-hmm. bit potentially. So, yeah, there's there's all of those kinds of things, but these guys aren't superstars because the media crowned them so. They're superstars because they earned it on the court when it mattered the most, especially Kawhi Leonard. And so this is something that, you know, as as Jazz fans, it's really easy to be like, you know, the Jazz have all the momentum going into this game. You know, they've got the added pressure of now they need to match pace with Phoenix so that they are equally as rested when they get to the NBA Finals or they prevent Phoenix from getting that extra rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the, the Western Conference Finals, I mean, as well. Sure. Um, but it's 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 just not that simple because it, it's Kawhi Leonard. He's, he's an actual robot. I mean, you know, like he takes time off, sure, but... The guy doesn't show emotion. He doesn't show fatigue. He doesn't show tiredness. He's going to come out. He's going to perform when his team needs him to. And the Jazz can try to have an answer for that. But that's, I think, the best case scenario when you get Kawhi's back against a wall is you can try to have an answer. But I don't think that they necessarily will have an answer uh, to slow him down. The best that they can do is keep everybody else rolling on the offensive end for the Jazz. Yeah. And just hope that you outscore Kawhi. That and see right there, that that's kind of the thing about it. I feel like with the venue change, the Clippers, they're gonna feel fairly confident they're finally back at home. But I like the this Utah Jazz team. They similar to what you were just talking about with Kawhi, doesn't don't show a lot of emotion one way or the other, just refuses to kind of quit. Well, this Jazz team is very similar in that. And it's, just, it's a collective effort. That's the one thing about this team is they just kind of go out there and they say, okay, we're going to play our brand of basketball. We're, we're going to make – and we don't care who's in the lineup. Joe Ingles has been a broken record with DJ and PK saying, okay, I don't care who's hurt. 
We just do our thing. Mm-hmm. And Joe has missed time this season. He, uh, we've had Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell. The, the thing is, this Jazz team, they just go out there and they understand who they are. And that, by the way, tip of the cap to everybody from Dennis Lindsay to Justin Zanuck on to Quinn Snyder, his coaching staff. They have implemented a, a team-wide philosophy that has, I think, permeated what these players, their, kind of their ethos, their, their thought processes. Okay, who do we have? All right, let's go out and do this thing. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned earlier on in this segment, Donovan Mitchell has ascended to what I consider to be superstar status. Mm-hmm. And having him be a superstar and having Rudy Gobert, who's an all-star, and also Mike Conley at some point here, we hope, returns as also an all-star, you've got a three-headed monster right at the top of your lineup that can contend with almost anybody. And that's my personal belief is that that three-headed monster is as good as anybody in the league right now. Oh, 100%. You know, and I think that I know that there were some, you know, there was some nervousness in game two. You know, I mean, the Jazz were up big. They looked great. Like I said, the first half, I thought there's nobody in the league that can beat this team if they're playing like this. Second half, a little bit of a different story. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Clippers started to run that zone defense, and it really ground the Jazz offense to a, a halt. Yeah. I think, and this is just my personal opinion, I could be very wrong about this, but I think that if slash when Mike Conley comes back into the lineup, something similar like that happens, it does not throw the Jazz nearly that off. No. I mean, their, their offense, sure, it might slow down a little bit, but but you don't notice nearly the, the drastic drop-off that you did in Game 2. No, a- absolutely not. And the one thing right now, by the way, is that Ty Lue, I think he's searching for answers. Oh, 100%. He was frantic. He was guessing in Game 2. Uh, David Locke pointed out, and I hadn't noticed this, that they put two lineups on the court together during that Game 2 loss that literally, literally had never played together in the entire history of the NBA. Yeah, it was two brand new, like, you know, and he was pointing that out during the game broadcast. Yeah. These guys have not spent a minute on the floor together. They have no... They don't know each other's style. They don't have any on on court chemistry, um, and that signaled that Ty Lue was just throwing anything he could at the wall just to see what stuck. And I think that, you know, maybe it was a halftime adjustment that led to that zone that really hurt the Jazz offensively. Sure, because you know credit to the Clippers, they played great defense when they were in that zone. Um, to me, it looked more like. It was just yet another guess, and it worked. See, and that's the thing. The zone is a – I feel like the NBA level, if you go to a zone, you're you're really digging for something. And, yes, credit to Ty Lue. Apparently, he stumbled upon something. The blind squirrel and that whole analogy mm-hmm. fits in this circumstance. And it worked. But I can tell you this much. If you're going to think that's your answer for the rest of the series, that ain't your answer. Ty Lue. That ain't your answer at Los Angeles Clippers. That is not going to be it because I'm sure Quinn Snyder has analyzed that film because he's a film junkie like we mentioned Mm -hmm. Donovan Mitchell is too. They watch a lot of film and I guarantee he's already got a game plan. Okay guys, if they go to the zone, this is what we're doing. And the the biggest thing is anybody who's played basketball, when you play against the zone, you have to have somebody who can flash into that high post area, run that free throw line and force the defense to collapse and then kick it Mm -hmm. or go to the bucket and score. I guarantee the Jazz have worked on that now, and they have a game plan for it. And moves yours, Ty Lue. What you got now? Yeah. Well, and, you know, part of what that zone did as well to kind of really shut down that offense, and David Locke pointed this out during the broadcast, um, the one thing that fires Quinn Snyder up the most and just gets him 
angry beyond reason is there's only one thing defensively that you can do to stop his offensive system and that's not allow the the blender to get going by Correct. holding guys that cut oh yeah yeah the and, putting hands on guys mm-hmm, yeah putting them holding them preventing them from running holding them still which you know if the refs see it should be a foul but there's so much other things going that they're not always going to see it but Quinn Snyder was riding those refs really hard when he noticed that that was what was happening with that zone. That was one of the, the technical aspects that they were doing. They were, you know, kind of gumming up the engine, preventing the parts from moving around. And it stopped the ball movement because guys couldn't get open. They couldn't get to where they needed to go. And so I expect that Quinn Snyder will have had made X's and O's adjustments mm-hmm. to prevent that. But he's also going to be in the ref's ear early and often to let them know. They're holding our guys there. They can't do that. Keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on it. He's going to be in there. You're constantly saying, look at that. Do you see that holding right there? That's a foul. You need to call that. And if the refs do, that also kind of just opens things back up, you know, because the players have to adjust to how the refs are calling it. And if the refs are not allowing them to hold players when they try to cut inside, then they're not going to really be able to defend Quinn's system. Yeah, it's going to open things up. And I know there are a lot of there's been a lot of talk about the Jazz and their struggles against switching defenses. Well, doesn't that go out the window in this series because the Jazz are just absolutely pulverized. And mm-hmm. okay, pulverized maybe is the wrong term, but they've been able to play against the switching defense. That was kind of one of the quote-unquote Achilles heels of this Jazz team is when they went when teams started switching, the Jazz had issues with it. I think we're and I'm, I'm probably I'm probably sounding like a broken record myself. I keep saying that the Utah Jazz they have really made what was their weaknesses into I not strengths probably not the right term, but they have been able to go around and work around those mm-hmm. perceived weaknesses. The switching defense apparently is no longer an issue for this Jazz team, and I think that big part of it, the shooting on this Jazz team, it's as deep as any in the league, if mm-hmm. not the deepest. You can go down the roster. Eight out of the ten guys are legitimate threats from three. The only two guys are Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert, and all they do is dunk on your head. <laughs> so, yeah, and you know to play off your, both that point that uh-huh. you know the Jazz have addressed their weaknesses, as well as you know like the switching defenses and the this zone and all of those kinds of things. You know, studying the film before Game One, even Quinn Snyder was asked about you know well this this Clippers defense does a lot of switching one through five, you know. Are you concerned about it? How are you going to address it? And Quinn Snyder's response was simply, there's nothing that they can do that we haven't seen already this season. There you go. And we've seen how they addressed the switching one through five. Correct. The zone was something that was unexpected. It's not going to be unexpected in game three. Yeah, I I, see. That's the thing is they threw something at it. It worked for a time. Jazz still won the game. They're up 2-0. And, yeah, you can try and go back to that if you want, but this is – I know it's a cliche in the NBA. By the time these series get going, you already know a lot about your opponents, but by the time you reach the midway point of the series, you know everything there is to know about these teams. Mm-hmm. So, okay, game two, you threw out the you threw out the zone. I know that actually there were some people talking about at the tail end of that D- Dallas Mavericks series that Ty Lue in – their minds was actually trying to hold on to that small lineup uh, with uh, is it Nick Batum? Nick Batum mm-hmm. playing, kind of playing that five. There was some thought that he was trying to hold on to that to play against the Jazz and counter Rudy with a smaller lineup. Well, the Jazz already saw it. They had it ready for game one and it didn't work. They went to this zone defense. It worked for a time. Jazz won that game. I'm with you, Alex. The, I think eventually we're gonna we're eventually it's gonna be okay. Well, what you got? 
throw it at us, and your guys are going to have to beat our guys. The nice part is the Jazz are up 2-0. In my opinion, and we'll talk more about this, kind of our expectations for tonight's game, and if you guys want to weigh in on this, we'd love to have you guys do it on social media. At 24-7 Lundy, at Jacob C. Hatch, Eric behind the glass for us, at Eric18Utah. Our question of the day here on the Saturday show is, what are your expectations for Game 3 tonight? I think most people are comfortable with a split. A sweep? Man. Man. Celebrate. Let's do this thing. But I think everybody that I can think of is probably okay with going one-on-one in L.A. Mm -hmm. You know, and my gut about tonight is that the Jazz are – they're probably going to drop this one. But I will preface that with, you know, like I have a few of my friends that we go back and forth with some of our thoughts on the games. I've texted them, I think, in each of the last three games. It might be four now that, you know, well, my gut tells me the Jazz are going to lose tonight. And, uh, (laughs) you know, my gut has been really wrong. So when I tell you right now that my gut tells me that the Jazz are going to lose tonight, take that as you will. That that is what I'm feeling. That is what I think will happen. However, I have been wrong a lot with that recently. I think most of us have. So, yeah, question of the day. What are your expectations for Game 3 tonight as the Utah Jazz battle the Los Angeles Clippers? By the way, pregame coverage here on the Zone Sports Network, your exclusive radio home of the Utah Jazz, will begin at 5 o'clock out there on the plaza. There is a watch party occurring tonight here at the arena. If you want to come out and celebrate with thousands of other Jazz fans, watch the game, please do so. We'll have more on this throughout the afternoon. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Shane Young. He covers the NBA for Forbes Sports as an analyst and a columnist. Going to talk to him. He's actually been embedded with Los Angeles Clippers at multiple points this year. Get his insight on what he expects to see from this series, Game 3 tonight, as well as some of the other thoughts on the NBA playoffs. We'll get to all of that next, right here on The Saturday Show. Whether you're stuck at the mall, in the yard, or making a quick trip to the home improvement store. We've got your back. It's gonna be May. This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday Show here on the Zone Sports Network. Excited to welcome in our guest coming up here momentarily, Shane Young from Forbes Sports. I've gotten to know Shane better part of a year now. I've been having on with DJ and PK to talk about the NBA and the NBA playoffs. Shane, thanks for taking the time. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me on today, man. Absolutely. Uh, let's start here, Shane. I know you've spent a lot of time in Los Angeles covering the Clippers. Uh, you, you've mentioned this to me in our conversations off air. What is your uh, kind of read on how the Clippers are absorbing or kind of adapting right now down 2-0 in this Western Conference semifinals? It's actually a little strange to me because the first, I would say, the, the whole first season was Kawhi and PG, and then I, go, I guess like maybe half of this season, it's felt as if they perform better when they're when they're on top of their game, when they're when they're the ones leading or when they're the ones I mean people have called them front runners for a while now. You know, all things are going great whenever they're leading, but you know, whenever they have their backs against the wall is whenever they fold. And it has felt like, to be completely honest with you, it has felt like since February, whenever Kawhi and PG had to miss a lot of time and the others had to step up and really I guess uh proved themselves to be worthy in the rotation and, and actually propelled them to victories whenever the guys were missing games since that moment 
including the Dallas series, it, it feels like they just are a lot better and more poised and more competent and confident whenever they are against a challenge like this. So, I mean, hey, th- this series, they're looking to be the first team in NBA history to come back from two 0-2 deficits in a single postseason run. Uh, I, I just always have been cautioning people that Utah is not the Dallas Mavericks, so this would be a, a, a very uphill battle. But I think they are, to answer your question, I think they are embracing this identity, I guess, of, of being a, a team that is going to have to come back that, like this. Uh, Shane, so we just saw the news that Mike Conley is out again tonight. How does that change this yeah. game? You know, does it does it change it at all from <clears throat> games one and two now that it's in Los Angeles and they still don't have to worry about Mike Conley? I don't know if it changes a lot for me. Uh, my thing has been, I'm not sure if you guys agree, but my thing has been don't bring Mike back until you lose or until he's 110% healthy. Like, even if he's good to go, I still would sit him until until things start to look shaky. And so far, it, it has not looked shaky at all. I mean, you know, Utah is getting every look they could possibly want. I think they're creating, they are creating more, more open looks or I guess to a, to a certain degree – the same looks they did against Memphis. And for you to be doing that against, you know, this type of link the Clippers have, this type of uh, veteran presence on the defensive end they have, like that says something. So, I mean, I think I, I think Conley needs to just kind of chill and, and not really try to come back or force his way back because we have seen guys come back a little bit too quick from hamstring injuries, even when they think they're good to go. You kind of need that extra, you know, you know, week or so to really get right. So I don't think it really changes anything, even if like you know, because I, I was telling somebody this the other day. Even when Mike's not there, like it's hard to imagine Conley providing the type of scoring output or the type of the type of juice that Jordan Clarkson has given them. Like at, at best, I think it would be neutral. I mean, I, I think Clarkson has done amazing in that role. Yeah, Shane, I wanted to ask you about Jordan Clarkson, actually. You brought up my my next point here. He seems to be the ultimate uh, make-or-miss guy, and for the most part this season Mm -hmm. he's been on. What have you seen from him? What's kind of your analysis of what you expect from him the rest of this series? Are the Clippers going to be able to slow him down, I guess is the question. (laughs) Well, actually, I I really did believe, like truly thought that even though Donovan is averaging 41 a game, even though Donovan had 30 been in game two if i'm not mistaken somewhere mm-hmm. around there yep. um jordan is the one that tilted the game for them in game two i don't know if they win without his without his you know audaciousness just to come up and shoot i mean it it was it was actually remarkable to see in person i mean i've seen him play a couple of times in person but it's like he truly does not care who's in front of him he does not care who's closing out when he comes around the screen um and any like he he is just like he falls into the moment, and he truly believes, like, for certain moments, he's the best player on the floor, and it's, it's actually funny to, to watch. But uh, some of those shots were just were just wild. I mean, he banked one in in front of the Clippers bench, nailed another one over a close uh, Avita Zubats that was closing out, had a hand right in his face. Um, and I, I, I have said this many times. I think that what gets overlooked in the playoffs or what gets overlooked – from guys like Jordan Clarkson, and what he does, what he does a masterful job at doing is just getting the ball in the air. Like you need shot creation, even if he's not the most efficient guy on some nights. I mean, lately he has been, but even if, like if he, like if he comes out and has a bad game tonight, 
I still think you need that guy that's not going to be afraid of it, that's going to get up shot, that can actually create. I mean, when's the last time we've seen him or we've seen anyone in Utah be able to break down PG like he did in the opening sequence? I think it was the first couple minutes of the game. Clarkson crossed him over, got a pretty good look at a three, and, and drilled it. So, I mean, you need more guys than that than just one. And if, if Jordan wasn't there, it would all rely on, on Donovan's shot creation and then Joe Ingles as the playmaker. I think you need that extra guy. Uh, we saw a lot in game two that the Clippers were, it looked like they were trying a lot of different things, a lot, you know, some things new, some things that they'd done before, just trying to find any kind of answer for the Jazz. What kinds of adjustments yeah. do you expect to see in game three? Well, I do expect Quinn Snyder to have some sort of answer. It might not be an answer that works, but I, I, I expect them to have some type of offensive answer to that zone that the Clippers put out there. I mean, the Clippers went with zone for a large portion of the second half, it felt like. I mean, it got them back into the game because Utah just froze up a little bit. I think Quinn, even if the shots don't go in, I think that's something that also has to be discussed. Is like, Let's just say Utah doesn't look great tonight offensively, but they're at least attacking the zone. Then you can say that adjustment was made. It's just the results weren't, weren't what Quinn Snyder thought. But he's one of the smartest coaches in the NBA, I think. He is probably the most prepared right up there with Eric Spolstra from a game-to-game or series-to-series basis. Like No one probably watches more film than those guys. And they're going to be able to get into the zone a little bit more because he's going to instruct them what to do. Something that struck, something that stuck out to me watching the Jazz try to, I don't know, like combat that zone and that they couldn't do for a good portion of the game was they didn't really screen that much. I think you can always, even if it's a zone, you can still bring Gobert up the screen. Like, you know, that's not illegal against the zone. You can still do that. I think they, towards the middle of the third quarter, they, they figured out a few things that they could carry over from, from into this game. Um, and also getting the ball into the middle of the floor. It's like, you know, against the zone, you don't always have to just take the threes to break the zone. You can get the ball, whether it's Ingles or Donovan, to the middle of the, to the free throw line area and kind of read the floor and have cutters, you know, go baseline or, or even some screen action there with Gobert. So um, I, I think they're going to have adjustments offensively. Defensively, I don't, I don't necessarily think the Clippers can do anything uh, differently. I think they are, they are closing out well on these guys um, for the most part, running them off the line. I thought they re- did a really good job against Donovan Mitchell in the second half. It just, you know, they kind of wasted that performance because how often is Donovan going to have 10 points on, you know, what was it, um, maybe 16, 17 shots like he did in the second half the other night. So, you know, they, they might have wasted that bad half from Donovan, and then they should have been 1-1 coming out of Utah, but it's 2-0 now. Obviously, this is a make-or-miss league, Shane. You know as well as anybody covering as closely as you do. Yeah. Uh, is this as simple as the Jazz, if they make their shots, they'll close out this series, whether it's in five or six games? Yes, and and really, like, you never like to be the guy that goes on radio waves and says, like, oh, it's all simplistic. It's only about making or missing <laughs> shots. They have to make shots. Like, But really, this isn't college basketball. Like, college basketball, there are more tactical things that you have to look at because not everyone, like, even even college basketball players that are wide open are going to miss shots. So you have to find ways to get inside a little bit more. You have to be more a little bit more creative in your offense, or at least that's the hope. In the NBA, it's like, I mean, you saw it down the stretch of game two. I think the Clippers generated six 
absolutely clean looks that you would you would you would love to have as any coach in the NBA because these are veteran guys these are these are experienced professional players that take around 800 shots a day it seems like in practice or shooting around and it's like if you get them in a wide open scenario they're going to they're going to be licking their chops and they're going to be wanting that all the time and someone asked Ty Lue after the game like were you happy with the shot quality you got down the stretch and he said absolutely he said very happy He's like, what more can you ask for as a coach? Because Marcus Morris missed two or three down the stretch. Reggie Jackson missed one to take, I think, uh, to cut the lead in half um, when it was jazzed by eight or something. And uh, PG just continues to miss. I don't know what that dude's problem is. He needs to get it together. <laughs> but um, I, I do think that, uh, you know, I was looking at some numbers earlier right before we got on here, and the Clippers on three-pointers with six feet of space between the shooter and the defender – the Clippers are nine of thirty-two. I mean, you can't really do much with that. I mean, it's it's actually a miracle, to be honest with you, that the Clippers were in both of those games in the final minute and a half. Um, I thought Utah was just going to run away with it in Game Two, but but they didn't. So I mean, yeah, it's a make or miss league, and Utah has shot well on open threes. They could even shoot a little bit better, to be honest with you. But the Clippers, they have some progression coming their way, I think. Uh. You had mentioned, you know, that Paul George is struggling. We've all kind of seen that. Is that something yeah. that is going on with him mentally? Is it something schematically that the Jazz are doing? Is it a combination of both? What do you think is the reason that he's struggled so much in this series so far? I do think they are baiting him into taking uh, – I thought his shot quality got better in game two. Um, he just missed. But in game one, you could tell the Jazz are baiting him into taking exactly what they want, which is – what. I like to call it the Memphis range because Memphis takes the most short, short mid-range shots and floaters in the NBA. And I think, I think PG was getting a little, you know, settling a little bit. You could see Gobert on him. He was, instead of trying to really beat him with his foot speed, he was settling for mid-rangers. I think, um, you know, instead of, you know, he's been really good at putting his head down and, and going into the paint, but it seems like against Utah, it's like, okay, let me get halfway there, then pull up. And, you know, that's a really tough shot to make. That intermediate shot is really hard to make. And the Clippers took 26 of those shots in game two. Um, I, you know, something PG could also do better at is, is making probably better plays off the dribble, not necessarily shots for himself. But, but uh, Kawhi seems to be the only direct playmaker that's opening up Marcus and, and all these guys for open threes. I think PG can get into the paint and do that a little bit more. But his problem has always been he turns the ball over far too much in those in those sequences so that has to dial down as well um but hey 27 points in game two on decent shooting you know decent efficiency wasn't great wasn't terrible um but at home i know you guys know this at home the clippers have not played well except for one game and that was game seven of, of the dallas series yeah, Shane, I want to get some thoughts from you on the other series going on, obviously. We saw Phoenix go up 3 nothing last night on the Denver Nuggets. Is this series over? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Is, is, I mean, is it a sweep, like, is, I guess, is the question. Um, I kind of feel like Denver will have an answer because it, often if you see a team go down 3-0, that, that team that's down 3-0 is, you know, <laughs> that, that finally gets a fire lit under them for some reason. 2-0 didn't, so 3-0 might. Um, I kind of feel like I kind of feel that way about the Clippers too. Like if they go down 3-0 tonight, they'll probably win Monday. But you know the series will be a wrap at that point. Um, so I don't know. They could probably go five um, in this series with Suns and Nuggets. But I, hey, Phoenix, 
it is remarkable what they've done to have a team. And, and, and by the way, this is, this is something I'm actually feeling vindicated right now because this is something I've said before, they, before the Suns started this playoff run. Everyone talking about, and apologies if you guys thought this as well, but everyone talking about, like, no playoff experience for Mikel Bridges, you know, Cam Johnson, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker might not show up in the, in the biggest moments because they haven't been on that stage. I just don't think that matters, particularly when you have Chris Paul and Monty Williams leading your squad, probably the two like two of the best leaders and motivators and, and guys that are going to get you pumped up for every single moment of every single game. Um, and, and, you know, Chris is like an extension of a coach on the floor. So the experience to me did not matter, despite Denver having been there a few times. And, hey, Denver is missing their best shot creator at the guard spots. I kind of expected this type of run over by Phoenix. Uh, continuing looking at some of the other series, uh, what are th- your thoughts on, on the uh, current series going on in the East? I mean, Brooklyn and Milwaukee has been fascinating because, you know, going into the series, a lot of folks thought that Mil- Milwaukee's point of attack defense or switchability with True Holiday Chris Middleton and Giannis, and even P.J. Tucker, that's four guys that you can realistically put on either Kyrie or um, or KD on switches and, and just force them into, into some bad shots. But so far through two and a half games, I mean, that the end of game three was bizarre to say the least. But I think we've seen that Brooklyn is the best offense we've ever seen against really good really good and, and robust defenses. Like, I, I think it doesn't matter what kind what kind of coverage you give them. They're going to have some type of answer for it. Like they're, they are the ultimate cheat code in the half court. I mean, their half court numbers are better than Golden State's from that from that five or six year run. It's it, it's kind of sickening to see, and and they're doing it without James Harden too. It's 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 marvelous to see. I don't I I don't think Milwaukee will win another game in the series. And of course, I'll say that, and they might come back and win. So we'll see what happens. But uh, with, with Philly and Atlanta, might be the most might be the most entertaining series because of the game-to-game adjustments and stuff that's going on. How can they stop Embiid? Because Embiid, I would say, right in front of Donovan Mitchell is the best player in the playoffs so far. There's really not a, a lot of stuff you can do against him besides giving him full-on double teams. You can't you can't give him one-and-a-half double. You can't give him that soft double. You have to go full double. And his passing, to me, has been the biggest improvement or the biggest trait that he's improved since last year. So, you know, we're looking at Brooklyn and Philly guys, and I think, you know, you're going. That's an unstoppable force in Embiid in the next round, but it's also like the best score I've ever seen in Kevin Durant combating that. So, I, you know, Brooklyn still feels like the team after after a round and a half. All right, Shane. Last thing before we let you go here, are you calling for a split between the Jazz and the Clippers down there in LA? Where do you think things are going? <laughs> um. I, all right. So when it was two old Jazz, I thought okay. Split for the Clippers in Staples Center seems like the best case because I, I think Utah, they've, they've been a decent road team. You know, they, they can still get their shots. They can still, you know, that's not going to change. Um, I kind of want to see how tonight goes. I think the Clippers will win tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, they just have to. And then, you know, if, it, if it's a convincing win, if it's not one that they just, they barely get it done in the last few seconds or a few minutes, then I think, I think we could be looking at 2-2 going back to Salt Lake. All right. Well, we will see. Shane, thank you for taking the time. Look forward to catching up with you again soon, all right? Good one.
All right, there you go. Shane Young, a big thank you to him for joining us. You can find him at Forbes Sports. Does a great job covering the NBA. You can follow him on Twitter at YoungNBA, Y-O-U-N-G-N-B-A, YoungNBA on Twitter. Thank him for taking the time to join us here. Coming up on the other side, Lundy, we're going to talk about technical fouls. Rewarding the people who have been dumb in sports, I guess is the easiest way to say it. We'll get to all that next. This is the Saturday Show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Let's go live! We talk jazz, utes, cougars, and aggies, even on the weekend. Weekend! You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal file, 69, offense. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome in. It is time for technical fouls here on the Saturday show. Uh, we're going to be talking about f- people doing dumb things in sports. Lundy, go ahead and get us started this week. All right. Well, we've been talking a lot about the NBA so far this show, so I'm sure. going to keep it right there. Okay. Uh, obviously, you know, this isn't the technical foul, but to kind of set it up, you know, earlier this week, we saw Rudy Gobert awarded the defensive player of the year. Three times. Three time. Um which I loved just the video that they put out his teammates responding or surprising him with it, you know, and he responds by saying, I couldn't have done it without you guys. Joe Ingles said, we know, <laughs> but the, uh, the man who is, who spent more time saying that he should be the defensive player of the year than any other NBA player that I've ever seen, uh, Ben Simmons in media availability after Gobert won defensive player of the year said that he is not concerned with individual awards because his goal is winning a championship. Um, Ben, technical foul because we have a lot of video and audio of you openly campaigning for this award. Absolutely. Um, And not just this award, other awards during your NBA career. Uh, So to come out and just be like, well, I don't care about individual awards. Like, really? Moving the goalposts. Really? Sounds a little bit like sour grapes, so a technical foul on openly lying to the media. Absolutely. All right, Eric, you got one for us. Go ahead. Yeah, Garrett Cole. Now, you'd think the simple answer to the question of, you know, are you altering what you use on the baseball? Now, that's a pretty simple question, right? Sure. If you heard that, you would probably say – no, that's yeah. a, that's a stupid question. Why why are you why are you asking me? Most that? guys probably would do that. Deny, yeah. deny, deny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clown question, bro. Yeah. Thank you, Bryce Harper. So, Garrett Cole answered more like, "It's <sighs> <laughs> pretty good." Well, I mean, <laughs> we've got the uh, audio of this somewhere. I guarantee it. Yeah, uh, I don't, I I mean, from generation to generation, guys learn a lot of different things, but, yeah, I, uh, yeah, and he just kind of 
trailed off. Now I, I should have had the audio, but I just kind of came up with this and, last. No, time. you actually you answered about as well as he did. Uh, so I bet I'll have that bravo on on just kind of recreating it because that's exactly what happened. So yeah, technical <laughs> foul. Here's the thing: the spider tack issue. The, the a lot of guys saying they're making the the mixture of rosin and sunscreen. It's apparently very sticky. Major League Baseball, if you're going to crack down on it, crack down on it. But at the same time, I think there's a very good point to be made. Pete Alonzo from the New York Mets saying that, you know what? I don't want a guy who's throwing 99 lose control and have that come hurtling at my head. He said mm-hmm. there's something to be said for these guys being able to control that ball a little better and us being able to understand that that ball ain't going to come flying at a body part that we don't want it to hit. Right. You know, and uh, Trevor Bauer actually had addressed this earlier, yeah. you know, a few years ago. He talked about this specific thing, said, there is no possible way to get spin rates this high mm-hmm. that we're seeing with a lot of these other pitchers unless you're using some sort of illegal substance. And then the year that he won, you know, what some people call his Mickey Mouse Cy Young, just <laughs> last year with the, the Reds, sure. um, Trevor Bauer's spin rate actually jumped up to those levels that he was talking about. So he And they continued through the first part of this year uh-huh. with the Dodgers until specifically called out by MLB, and they said – you know, we're going to start punishing. And suddenly Trevor Bauer's spin rate dropped down to what it was before. Oh, there you go. So, so you know, it's it's interesting to see, you know, you, it, it's yeah. something that is trackable. It's You don't even have to bust the guy using it. Just look at the spin rate. You know, on the big show yesterday, Austin just made a point, and he was like, you should just legalize everything in baseball. And I honestly don't hate that point. It's not a bad point. You should point. let them do steroids, juice the balls, let them have the substances. And in the end, won't it all kind of come out in the wash? In some ways, sure. But <laughs> There's a comedian that said something to the effect of, uh, I want the best athletes science can give me. <laughs> it's, hey, you, you never know. All right, I got a quick one here. Uh, by the way, uh, technical foul to rookie um, home plate umpire Eric Bacchus. This is from earlier this week on Thursday. Uh, there was a game between the Chicago White Sox. They were rallying against the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Jose Abreu, and he is not a small man. Anybody who's watched what Chicago White Sox, he wears number 79. He is a true slugger in every sense of the word. Just a big dude. Well, he kind of was moving. He was on deck, and a play came, and the play's coming home to play. He kind of moved to maneuver himself to kind of uh, coach his teammate as he's coming into home plate. Well, rookie umpire Eric Bacchus, the bat was on the was in the was where the play was going to be made. He picks it up and throws it behind him just to get it out of the way literally throws it right into the knees of Jose Abreu and takes him out. So he kneecapped him, and his dead, deadsman says, this is a scene right out of Casino going down right here. <laughs> uh, Abreu was fine for the most part based on what I understand about it, but, yeah, it was pretty funny to see that because Bacchus, he's trying to get that uh, bat out of the way, had no idea that Abreu was running behind. and It's natural. It happens in the league. It happens at every level of baseball. But, yeah, he gets kneecapped Just by a rookie home plate umpire. Accidental Tanya Harding. Yeah, a little bit. So there you go. All right. That'll do it for technical fouls. We'll be back next week with more going on. If you guys have suggestions of them, send them in, send them in on social media. I'd love to hear from you guys on those. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about a world record set right here in our backyard. The Iron Cowboy, James Lawrence. I uh, did something that I think is absolutely insane. We'll explain more of that next right here on the Saturday show.